Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Better, better, better. And we are entering the banter segment. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Cesar JM. Where I'm sorry, were, you attacked by, were you attacked by gremlins? I don't know. It's <laughs> it's It's been a crazy, crazy week for me. It's good, though. At the end of your summer, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it is coming to an end. I mean, okay, l- let me just give you a quick rundown. So Sunday I recorded the AP. Monday we had our Patreon chat with our patrons. Once a month you can get in on that. You can. Woo-hoo. And on Tuesday I edited the show that released today. Yesterday, I talked to a, uh, one of the guys that's in my AP about something with his newly going to be opening game shop. And then tonight we're recording. And then tomorrow, I have to record somebody else's show. It's been podcast, 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 podcast. Hmm, content uh, creation. As a um, Saturday, I forgot to tell you, we're going to record like three new shows. Um, <laughs> I'm going to need you in top form for all of them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we, we've been texting with Noel and, and, and Jules then. Oh. Are, aren't you ready for Saturday's show? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. All right, everyone stand by. We're going to be taking bets on when his head explodes. <laughs> but see, next week at least is is much easier because I only have one episode I have to record. And then we may be – I'm going to drop this little, little, uh, little tidbit because we may be right after the episode drops, there may be another one coming – on very short notice, you may get a bonus episode this month. Is what? He's yeah, saying. yeah. There's, we're working on stuff. We here at Seize the GM love you, our fans, and love gaming. And in that light, we are trying to do some special stuff for you, and you may get a special extra bonus prize this month. Yes, it is very possible. So, uh, if you don't get one. Blame Zended, and to blame Zended, <laughs> to blame Zended, find us on Facebook at facebook.com/groups/seizethegm. On Twitter, on Instagram, join our Discord or back us on Patreon to tell us how Zended has wronged you. Yes, <laughs> yes, please come and tell me how I've wronged you. <laughs> Are we going to put him in the naughty corner? I'm always in that corner. <laughs> no, that's the insanity corner. Dude. Oh. It's on the other side of the room. Oh. Have you been mixing them up? I I usually mix things up. That's how busy you've been. Yeah. it's It's been wild. It has been a crazy, crazy time. But, so what have you guys been up to? Oh, I ended my campaign temporarily. Ooh. Good or bad end? Uh, more of a hiatus end. Because, uh... It's one of those uh, not Nanorimo months, ah. except it's like the optional one. So I had to end the campaign temporarily as the writing is ramping up. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Makes so sense. Game Makes sense. Awesome. Oh boy, that's kind of cool though. I, I wish you luck. Is the best best thing I can do, and may your fingers not get cramped. <laughs> that's okay. I can use a uh, text to speech software then. <laughs> or my sources to text. Or, or find a good dictation software, and if you do, let me know what it is. <laughs> I've been working way too much work. Yeah, you know, sometimes just rears its ugly head and keeps me really busy, which it has been doing. I uh, finished up the One Pilot Three Ways finally, which made me happy, and have begun working on the next couple of card catalog posts in the spare time that used to be called sleep. Oh, fine. <laughs> See, that's the dictation software I need. The <laughs> one that takes my dreams and turns it into text. Because yeah. then I could write during those hours. Ye gods. But can you imagine what happened like, if you're in like a really weird dream? Can you start arguing with yourself? I mean, that's the dream. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be the screw tape letters? Kind of, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that is kind of a nice point of reference where we talk about stories. And I think Noel kind of hit the nail on the head with you know campaigns because we're starting a new series today on Seize the GM. I don't want to. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> so if you haven't, I would recommend going back and listening to some of our older episodes, especially where we focus on world building and what it takes to put a world together. But we had a, a request, didn't we? We actually did, and it was on the Facebook group where somebody had asked a question about uh, character-driven campaigns versus event-driven campaigns. And that got us on the show talking behind the scenes about that and we decided that we should probably kind of start tackling what exactly is a campaign and so the next several episodes you're going to get us nattering on about campaigns and the big themes you know character versus event driven and then kind of how to put them into place i am really hopeful that in an episode or two, we're going to sit down with a couple of these ideas, and we're actually going to make the bones of a campaign on the episode for you to hear. And uh, kind of you put these into play, show you how these ideas work. At least that's what I want to do. Yeah, I think that would be good, because it would give people at least some kind of a framework to see it in action, as opposed to the theories that are always behind everything. Mm, theories. <laughs> I know you love theories. Don't get him started. He won't stop. <laughs> That's a later episode. Later episode. Yeah. Yeah. How to stop a campaign is a whole different one. But <laughs> yeah. What is a campaign? And I think for me, one of the easiest ways to kind of explain it to someone who's first approaching the idea is a campaign is kind of like a, a cohesive season of a TV show. I have to agree with that. It's mm. kind of that whole arc that you, the characters kind of go through. It can always be expanded to more, but when we're just talking about what we're doing in what are these characters doing, what their goal is, where they meet, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's much more like just a single season of a TV show because you can run campaigns in the same world with different characters, even the same characters. Just... I mean, think about it like, okay, so like something like Star Trek. So like when Next Gen first came out, those were all like, you know, maybe like second level characters. By the end of it, they were not second level characters. Maybe third. (laughs) Maybe third. (laughs) (laughs) Or they had lots of karma to spend between, you know... XP, you know, they, they have grown. And that's well, and what a campaign should do, is it should be the growth of the characters over long story form as opposed to short story form. It's something that takes more than one session. It's something that has a coherent or consistent through line mm-hmm. between these different stories. And a lot of times campaigns have a more distinct ability to have an end or a middle than open-ended, just 
getting together and playing one shots. And so that's you know kind of where my thought comes from. Now that through line it could be a theme of character growth. It could be that character-driven kind of concept of what it means to be loved. It could revolve around a single big bad that is the source of certain kinds of troubles. Think about uh, Angel or Buffy as an example of one of those where you've got that particular big bad evil at the end of the season that's caused all the troubles leading up to it. That's a way, something around which those campaigns are organized. Yeah, it's yeah. You definitely have to have. I mean, you don't have to have, but most campaign, most games in in reality, it's you don't want to highlight the. I go on a shopping trip. It's you want to highlight the. The excitement, the the adventure, not not the not the day to day humdrum. Right. In that case, it becomes right. In that case, becomes like the you go on a shopping trip, and who is this rival person trying to steal the object you're trying to get, and the drama unfolding around that. Mm -hmm. Right. Now that's a totally different thing. Exactly. But the thing is, the best way to put it is. And, and, and I also think about it in a standard D&D campaign, okay? When you're shopping for weapons in town and going to the tavern and getting, you know, buying a room for the night. Mm, but, you know, contrast that to walking around town trying to get information on the dungeon you're going to be going to. Or the dungeon itself or exploring the area. You know. Yeah. Because, I'll be honest, we all go food shopping. Every bloody one of us. I don't think we really want to roleplay that, too. It gets kind of boring. Unless the lettuce is trying to eat you. Then it gets fun. Or it's a mimic. <laughs> don't say that always. in front of Zippy. He'll use it in our D&D campaign. It's as, always a mimic. As well he should. Actually, no. it's really funny. The other the other day, in one of my games, in the AP that I'm running, I, I was telling him, I said, you know what I should do? I should totally run a game where the entirety takes place inside the mimic (laughs) like you go into the dungeon except it's not really a dungeon that you've gone into you've gone into a mimic oh god it's this is kind of like the cave of wonders thing from uh yeah uh from you know i'm talking about what come on brain the uh from uh, the the old disney's aladdin thing yes yeah Well, and in working with those campaigns, you know, that question that was posed to us is, you know, campaign, is it event-driven or character-driven? Now, personally, I don't think character-driven is the opposite of event-driven on the spectrum. Oh, Uh, God, no. Yeah, I think that that sells short the idea behind the high adventure and the role-play. I I think those Uh things coexist more than are contrary. Yeah. But – the amount of each you want to use is the question. I think, you know, kind of high character plus high event is the original Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's, and I think that's kind of one of those good examples. Yeah. Or here's the thing you can, but you can have, <clears throat> you, you don't, and it also look, uh, la la la, I'm articulate. Um, but it also doesn't have to be, you know, it could, it could start out as character driven. And then as the characters cause ripples in the world, it kind of more transitions to event driven. And I'm going to bring up an anime that has the weirdest name, but it actually is pretty awesome. It's called that time I got reincarnated as a slime. And it starts out, it's character focused about this little slime guy and the other monsters he meets and the friends he makes and, then all the crazy bit by him being friendly, he starts creating events and scenarios and all that other kind of stuff that now they have to deal with. So it's less, you know, I mean, he's still the protagonist, but you, you it's starting to, it's starting to grow the world and yeah. it kind of transitions, but it's done kind of a little slowly. It's actually kind of interesting. I can actually bring up another anime that does that. The angel beach does that where it starts off about, focusing on the characters and their unresolved conflicts. And because more people are done with the 
weird kind of afterlife space they're in, mm-hmm. the world starts changing and reacting to it like a like a living thing, kind of rejecting the changes. Exactly. But it's it's the thing is that you can start off being character focused, but if it starts to evolve into being, you know, world focused kind of a thing, run with it. It's okay. It's how it's evolving organically. You know, don't, I'll be honest, if you try and force it in one way or the other, your players are going to kind of rebel. And it's it's going to get a little less fun. Well, and I think that's why going into a campaign, you need to have a good idea of a theme. As the GM, you know, we've kind of talked about it before, there's still a big amount of weight on your shoulders. You still have a lot of responsibility. And crafting that campaign, crafting that part of the world, is a big part of where you get to use that authority, that power, uh, to populate it. More so than the player characters and the players who get to choose to interact with each other and choose to have those moments. You get to put the pieces in place for them to interact with. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now... We came up with a few different themes that are kind of themes or styles of campaigns. Uh-huh. And so what we're going to do, there's there's four of them, and there's four of us. <laughs> so. That means you're doing all four, right? Darn no, one, two, three, not it. <laughs> I'll do the first one. <laughs> But, no, the reason is is that it, it's no more than just that. We, we were thinking about this, and these were the four that kind of stuck out as big things. Big, overarching themes that are, are easy to do with campaign design. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to have just like a real short bit about each of them now we had said that we we're going to go into more depth with all of this in the next one we're going to talk about these themes we're going to tackle two themes to a show the future yeah so and future. in those we're also going to start developing something for campaign seeds basically in those i think is kind of we're what gonna, we're, we're hoping to do. We're going to show how each of these different themes and kind of big picture ways to orient can be used to make a campaign. And we're going to try to make sure that we use different styles. We're try to, you know, between the four different ones we may try to work on, we're going to try to make sure we hit sci-fi, hit fantasy, hit horror. We're going to try to at least have a breadth over the next couple of episodes so you're not just stuck listening to one idea echoed in each of them. Right. So, and if you hear this before the next one comes out, <laughs> you can vote on our social media, Facebook, facebook.com slash group slash seize the GM, Instagram or Twitter or Discord and Patreon to tell us which of us you want to handle which of these following themes. So, Zen, <laughs> tell us about the first theme. Okay, the first theme is discovery or exploration. This is kind of that what's over the next hill. And that, you know, that concept of like to boldly go where no one has gone before, you know, where it's very much about the characters, but it's as they search out and explore their new world. And it could be something new that already exists in the world that they're going out to find or like, and and this is a trope that I've seen done before with this is the you know you're stuck being sent over to another continent to set up a colony and you have to figure it out that's, that's actually what's going on in our D campaign right now see and and it's a good it's a good way to get people to look at that um it can also be where you can set a mystery game where yeah, discovery exploration doesn't have to just be the map. Yeah. Because it could be like figuring out 
that they are just a sm- one small cog in this kind of like larger conflict. Think like the Born Identity. And that one is a character-driven example. You know, discovery yeah. and exploration of, well, who am I? How did I get here? Is as valid a thing to discover and explore as what's over the next hill. Yeah. Yeah, so. Okay, so uh, I'm going to pick who goes next. Uh, That's no. fair. Oh, shoot, I was hoping we could skip one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just picked you next. Okay, so next up, we're kind of looking at. Um, I'm trying to how the word just. This one actually kind of feels like it borders a little bit on the third one, but it's all about kind of the succession of power within the setting. Um, this kind of more of a social political kind of setting, essentially. Uh, Game of Thrones, Eyes of Fire, and things like that. It's about kind of the passing of the torch of a setting. The, Things like mentors and apprentices, things like this, learning from others or trying to take power from others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, and it's also one of those, I think, um, high school settings fall into that a lot. I, I think that secession of power can also encompass kind of the coming of age story, which is, mm. you know, one generation to another. And that is a huge, huge uh, set of options for you, making a you campaign. S- mm-hmm. And you see a lot of these, um, at least those kind of stories, uh, I, I, I mean, yeah, they do occur in fantasy, but they actually do come up in, uh, I would say, want to say alternative history, um, actually, especially kind of dynastic. Where, do you know where this yeah, shows up a lot? Is mm-hmm. uh, in manga. That high school kids getting power because they found something and then they have to kind of explore that who had it before and what are they going to do with it now I can also think of another really good example of uh, succession of power mm-hmm. would be uh, Vampire the Masquerade for this type of stuff yeah Ooh. the whole dealing with the court and trying to gain power there and Awakening is, you know, fresh vampire and things like that and trying to learn how that world works and trying to find out where your political position is within it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ooh, good one. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead and pick the well, next person. Got a Okay, the third one... Uh, it has kind of what we've tagged as meta-conflict. And that's for all of those campaigns that are built around a conflict way bigger than the players that they're somehow in the middle of. Think uh, the metaphysical war between good and evil, uh, like Dragonlance. Think about being stuck between a, a war of the superpowers, even something like uh, Macross, Robotech, where you have an alien invasion. The heroes and the players are there, but they aren't the people making the final decisions. They are kind of reflecting on a meta-conflict. Maybe not as pawns, maybe as bishops, but they're still the kind of audience level looking up at the conflict setting. And there's personal discovery, but in service to that larger power, as opposed to personal discovery in service to self-identification. What I particularly like about this one is because it's kind of the this is the campaign that can be used to bridge campaigns campaign. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it easy it's easy for either of the other two we've talked about to have one of these meta conflicts crop up. You know, yeah. I described him as season. Season one, discovery and exploration, you find out, hey, here I am over the hill. Look what I found. It's a bunch of humanoids. Yeah. Season two. Hmm. These humanoids are our friends. I wonder who's going to be in charge next since the old king just died. Mm-hmm. Season three. Meta conflict. Why are there rampaging hordes coming this way? And what do we do about our humanoids who we call our friends but aren't aren't us? Yeah. 
It's yeah. a good way of putting it, yeah. I mean, and that's that is the thing. Like these are all they're themes for campaigns. And like we said, a campaign you could theoretically have a campaign that only runs for like six sessions. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be if you're telling a very specific story and you just want to really just dive into it and and it's only going to be like a short term like 6 to say 6 to 10 sessions you know where the end is now how fast they get there like you've said you know you've got between 6 and 10 sessions and how do you make that work like well these can help bridge like if you've got the next campaign idea based on what happens in that first one, then you can start using all of these as, and yeah, like the meta conflict can be even, it could be overarching all of these little campaigns that you're doing. It could be something happening in the background of all of that. That could be a part that could be part of the world building you've done. But yeah. the last of the major kind of pillars of campaign style we identified, I'm going to leave to Jules. Uh, and I think this is possibly one of the most fun and least used ones. Yeah, the micro-conflict. Um, you know, it's dude, it's, it's dude versus dude, human versus human. It's a type of conflict that's not, you know, kind of far and out there. It's something we know kind of intimately it could be um you know a village against uh, a, a, a band of thieves that are coming in or two villages that don't get along but as you put it the thing is like it's personal and the nice thing also about kind of like micro conflict it's i don't want i don't want to say it's more real but it's something that all of us in some way shape or form from middle school to uh, political rallies to sometimes family reunions. We've kind of had that. It's not two armies, you know. It's not like these. It's you know two parts of the family, and it's there's conflict. And this is where you get a lot of cool character growth. And this is also where you can introduce a lot of cool NPCs that you want to have a more recurring role, or they might turn into a more recurring role. You know, you rescue a bard uh, from the village, and he helps you out, and it builds more of a story. And, you know, and he shows up from time to time because he's a touring bard, and you know him. And it it's that interpersonal thing. So, and oh, quick you know what? shout out to episode 45, Flesh on Your NPC's Bones. Go back and read that. Listen to that. Yeah. Read it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um. You know what this? I read audio. Okay, so we have we have it tagged as micro conflict, but I love what you just said. This is the intimate conflict. Yeah, because it's much is, more visceral. It's much more real. And we it's know it much, also in the real world too. Yeah, because we've all experienced it, and that's and this is also where you can really sneak in some. I don't want to be a jerk, but it's like some kind of moral quandary. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, where, you know, um, like nobody's all good, nobody's all bad. You've come to know, like, a whole bunch of people in this town, and then people are starting to fight, and you have to pick a side, but you don't want to, but being neutral will get you killed by both kind of a thing. Like, Arrgh! it's yeah. great. Well, I think we all kind of ended up getting to take the one that we feel the closest to, and... At least that's my impression as far as how they were picked and, and how we went about it. But I want to hear what our fans think. If you're listening, mm-hmm. tell us what your favorite big component, big picture part of your campaign building is. Do you have a favorite in one of these four that we talked about and that you can find in the doodly-doo? Or do you think there's a fifth kind of er campaign that we missed in our description? Let us know, and maybe you will help choose the next exciting thing we cover on Seize the GM. That is true. Darn Skippy. (laughs) Okay, well, since we know we're going to be diving back into this very soon, 
Oh, it's going to be fun. So much fun. I know. Well, let's yeah. go ahead. Send us your notes, guys. Send us your notes on. Also, here's something best way to put. If you have interesting ways where you blended them and what uh, and what caused you to blend them in the way that you did, because for me, I, I always it's like, yes, we can break them up. But it's always cool to see, you know, it, it's like we have peanut butter. We have chocolate. We have banana. We have. All right. They're all awesome on their own. But what happens when you mix? And I'd like to see what people do with that. Brown. Brown is what happens when you mix. <laughs> Add a little bit of ice cream and it's a wonderful shake. <laughs> you, you kind of – thank you. I, there was one I couldn't get out of my brain, but the thing is, like, you can do peanut butter and chocolate. You can do peanut butter and banana. You can do chocolate and banana. They're all different. And they're great on their own, but it's also interesting when you mix. You come up with some really unique flavors. So. Yeah. Sorry, I had a banana split, so. <laughs> so. Uh, shall okay. we shall we gallivant, gallivant on to the next section? I'm going to need to take a break before we do the next section. I get to give myself a milkshake. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, let's go ahead and roll on into that next section. And now we enter Stat Blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. Okay, one, two, three, not it. This is a really good milkshake. Got it. (laughs) I hate you so much. (laughs) All right. I will go ahead and uh, give you what I came up with. The Siren's Cosmic Call, or how I learned to stop, or how I stopped worrying and learned to love the imprecision. It can be as it can be as simple as one-way street sign pointing the way under the brightest street light this side of June in hospice. It can be as subtle as the repeating refrain of a songbird just a month too early to be heard. Sometimes the universe will tell you to wake up and pay attention. You have been called to service. Why? Sometime, long time ago, the universe realized that it needed help, or at least antibodies within the vastness that is. You have been chosen. You have been called. You have an ability to stop the infection that seeps into our world. How? That is a question that's harder to answer. You find the others, called like you, coming to the same place like you, holding a quizzical look like you. Each different, but also with similarities. The universe made a team. The universe chose people to come together, perhaps at its most pure form, to be a kind of family. This is no closer to how, though. If it isn't an accident, what do you hold that sets you apart? Do you fly through the air? Have you found some remarkable insight into the nature of this world? Or do you just have an imagination? There is no instruction booklet, only flashes and glimpses of insight in your disparate heads. There is no guidance, only guesswork. You could be nothing more than disposable accidents of creation, hearing something not meant for you. Is that a better option than the universe actively using you like flotsam and jetsam to discard at its earliest point? Is it about the betterment of all over your own comfort? Or is it something more that these other people here have kept hidden? There is but one way to find out, and so you commit yourself to uncovering this mystery, or perhaps to collapse of old age, and in that singular moment, see the infinite glory you believe you have been protecting. Nice. Wicked, so, dude. That's like the first like page of the comic book you're writing, right? <laughs> no comment. Wow. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay. Your turn, Zen. All right. <sighs> so, what happens when a protoplasmic slime interacts with a living entity? Wait, let, let's rewind a bit. A, a proto-what, I hear you say? Yes, it is proto, meaning before, see? I knew you would have questions for me about this substance. What is it, and where did it come from, being foremost in your mind? Well, 
both of those questions are not possible to answer as of right now. See, we're still working them out ourselves. I can give you a bit of history about them. Shortly after the quakes that struck the planet were settling back down, people were trying to figure out what had happened. They started showing up at the epicenters of the disasters. This gray-green slime was present and didn't make any sense. It should have been ash and lava and rock. Not a strange slime. Samples were taken of the slime. That is when things, as the saying goes, went off the rail. The first samples didn't seem to have any strange characteristics. It was a semi-fluid liquid at room temperature. It didn't have a chemical reaction to the containers it was stored in. One day it was being transferred to a new lab, and some of the material came into contact with a petri dish that had a culture of E. coli growing on it. And the slime then became, for nothing better, alive. It enveloped the culture. Then the true horror began. The E. coli that had contact began to change. What it became, we're not really sure. It couldn't get sequenced fast enough. Uh, the long and short of this part is that it, it changed the bacteria into something else. And fast. The rate of mutations was in the millions of times faster. Evolution at a rate unseen before or, or since, really. Uh, needless to say, it got out of the dish. What we have not been able to see was that the local animals near the epicenters had found out what slime was able to do that in the wild and was changing the local wildlife. And, you know, it was adapting to a world that wasn't present now but was on its way. The species barriers was not present at all. When it found a human after the change... It rewrote the genetic makeup of a person. They, they were different. After the first human contact, things spread fast. People could be carriers at least at first, like a small group of terraformed people. There were a few hundred at first, but the population never got very big, and the first ones had a... After a few tests, they found to have had an extra pair of nucleotides. Nothing that was on this planet had ever had... One feature that they all have now is a growth that changes the shape of the skull, pulling it back, giving them a scaled appearance to their what had been smooth skin, which is why we call them Drax. Nice. Hmm. Interesting <laughs> foundation. It's very nice. I like it. I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm thinking of. What? That's what came into my head were the sleeve stacks. <laughs> yes. Interesting. <laughs> oh god. Well, we'll you have, you to... have written the backstory for the whole show. It all makes sense now. Well, we'll have to see if that actually ends up being the case. That'd be funny. <laughs> ah, that is funny, though. Okay, so next is um, Jules. All right. Cling. You can't keep it a secret. They all... No. The phone vibrates in your hand. You've been getting strange messages for the past month. Cryptic warnings, subtle threats, disturbing images. You keep trying to throw the phone away, but for some reason it always keeps reappearing. Like those weird rings in the old fairy tales. And you couldn't ignore it. Some strange compulsion forces you to look at the communications. To relive all your past transgressions. To exist in a state of anxiety. Every time you start to relax, you hear that familiar chime. Gling. You know what you did to that old man. 
You remember being at a train station yelling on your phone to your subordinate about some perceived transgression. You got your first message that night. The next morning, you heard that your subordinate threw himself out of his office window. And you've been getting similar messages since. Torturing you every time you hear that chime. Destroying bits of your soul to the end of time itself. And as the last of your essence fades, you realize where you are. Cling. Your hands will never be clean. You see, the world modernized. Mobile data and constant electronic surveillance and endless swaths of data stored in the cloud. Technology infusing every aspect of life. What humanity didn't know is that hell was upgrading as well. Humanity still saw hell as this otherworldly place of fire and sulfur filled with the eternal screams of the damned. So, with hell using the ubiquitous tools made by man to mete out punishment in the afterlife, you didn't know that you were in hell. Humanity's past sins and shames are repeated to them through the technology that they use every day. With all the stories of Anonymous and other hacker groups, man is able to delude themselves, thinking that they're still alive, making the punishment all the more sublime. Hellish tools like the infernal phone have now become standard tools for punishing the wicked. Man is now unwittingly creating the tools of his own torment. Gling. Do you know where you are? Nice. Fun. <laughs> Sorry, I have been I have been dealing with tech issues and it's been driving me crazy. So you know, well, it kind of makes sense. I am although very concerned about the number of uh, spam calls I've been getting the last year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So take us home. All right, so this particular stat block is a little bit of a sneak peek because we've started doing uh, the whole block every week on the website. I'm going to start revealing one of them ahead of time just to kind of tease people to want to see the whole thing. So this week we have A Ring of Storms. It's an art piece, to be sure. A golden ring interlaced with sapphire flecks and leaves of silver. It's large enough for an average uh, size ring finger, but fits comfortably on a larger pinky or smaller thumb. But wearing it as a ring doesn't matter, as it's functional no matter the distance from its owner. Once bound, it cannot be unbound until death. The ring is a focus, a fetter for a bound entity of lightning and rain. The storm spirit will manifest itself only when the wearer experiences intense emotions. Fear will bring mountains of dark clouds and heavy rain. Anger will bring thunder, fury, and cutting winds. Loss and pain will bring cold, shadowy downpours that never seem to end. And love will bring a soft and warm summer rain with rainbows swept through the mist. The spirit feels all that its master feels. It lives only as the master lives. Ownership of the ring is a lifelong affair. An unbound ring will not obey until it feels the touch of intense emotions. And once bound, the ring will not transfer to another until its master has passed beyond. If the ring is taken violently, then hurricane-force gales will sweep the land and send the ring traveling. If the ring is taken by accidental demise, the spirit will weep the master's last pains. And should the ring's master comes to a quiet death in their slumber, the spirit will bring fog to the land for a year and a day until it has finished mourning. Cool. Brilliant, dude. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. And that's one part of a larger picture you can read about on the website on the, the whole block. Yes. Awesome. So, yes, if you hadn't figured out yet, we are trying to enhance your Seize the GM experience by providing written work at SeizeTheGM.com. My card catalogs will continue, preferably apace, though perhaps as we're getting back into the speed of things with a week off here and there. The whole block is going to contain lots of fun stat blocks inspired by our own Null Operations hard work, and especially because of his, well, prolific catalog. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't shown up yet in the whole block, but it will. It will. Yeah. It needs to. Zen is working on something for you as well. Uh, yeah, I have only been saying this for like a year now. 
<laughs> just, just, I, I gotta, I gotta say it. Gotta put it out there. I know. I, I need to find a, a good dictation software, basically. Because I need to be able to do this on the move. Because I can't do it when I'm just sitting here trying to type. It takes me forever. So, I'm a talker, damn it. That's why I do a podcast. <laughs> Darn skippy, you do. <laughs> so, well, let's go ahead and uh, flip on into our next section. Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay, guys. I, I, I went easy on you for this one. It is cyclopean. Okay, okay. I got this right off the bat. All right. Okay. The cyclopean is a special laser rifle that uses a single focusing laser to go pew, pew, pew. That would be a pew pew laser, which is different. <laughs> it could be, a, you know, a, a synonym. Here, here's the thing: it's this is this is sometimes it shows me the sad shape of the world because uh, I know what that word is from, and I've used it. And somebody's like, "What kind of brand of shoes are those?" I'm like, "I, I said for really, really, really big people." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, here we go. The definition, often capitalized, um, it is then relating to or characteristic of a cyclops. Otherwise, it is uh, huge or massive. And the third definition is of or relating to a style of stone construction marked typically by the use of large, irregular blocks without mortar. Ooh. Yeah. So it has multiple meanings. Now, the etymology is um, of or characteristic of the legendary Cyclopses of Greek mythology, 1640s, from Latin Cyclopius, from Greek Cyclopius, from Cyclopes, which is Cyclops, um, especially in reference to having a single eye in the middle of the forehead, also vast, gigantic, and in reference to a style of ancient masonry, blah, 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 of uh, fabled to be the work of a gigantic uh, Thyracian race, 1822. First known use of Cyclopean, as in the relating to Cyclops, is 1582. And its uh, lookup popularity is actually in the bottom 30% of words. So most people never look this up. Well, I mean, we know what Cyclops is, and so the question of whether or not someone would look up Cyclopean, unless they happen to be a, you know, deep history student or architecture student, and they're talking about, you know, uh, Mycenaean walls... Or, or they re- or if they're uh, eldritch horror do uh, yeah, I was gonna say, a lot. If if you read uh, Lovecraft, he loves Cyclopean. Yeah. <laughs> well, then uh, some of the people searching for it are also looking to start a new brand of shoes <laughs> for very large people. Yes. <laughs> or pew pew lasers. <laughs> <laughs> Only once with a single focusing lens. <laughs> now I want. Man, I kind of want to get a pew, uh, a pew pew laser sound effect. <laughs> Just have it go off at work randomly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, guys. I think we're going to go ahead and, and try to wrap this bad boy up. What do you think? I think, I think it's time for people to ruminate on what they should do for their campaigns and what they want us to kind of ramble about. Mm. Now, in light of campaign building. I've been, you know, if you pay attention, I try to, you know, thematically choose my closing remark recommendations to what we talk about. Sure. So if you hadn't figured that out, go back and re-listen to 
all 100 episodes that we've already done and see if you can identify what I was doing. So you made a comment on the Facebook. If you would like Garamante to make a test and see if you can pass. <laughs> I can do this. We can make a test. That could be fun. Uh, Stranger Things. Uh, the Season 3 trailer has dropped relatively recently to give you kind of a timestamp of where we are. And it's kind of one of those opportunities to see how effective theme building works across campaigns. We're into season three, and while there are thematic similarities, there are also a lot of changes. And the ability for the creators to be evocative in their design elements, I think, is instructive to those of us who GM and those of us who game on how to create that sense of place, that sense of time, that that ambiance that helps transport us into our gaming worlds. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I won't see the trailer. No spoilers for you. I don't. I don't watch trailers. Like I literally have walked into the last two Star Wars movies completely blank. I walked into N, uh, into uh, Infinity War blank. I usually try not to watch trailers. I'll watch. Um the only trails I actually do are the ones where people do like for uh, like fan made projects, like they did the the Akira trailer just to see if they could pull it off. But no, I don't. I don't because the thing is sometimes they will put spoilers in there, mm-hmm. and you'll get the whole story spoiled. It's also and one of the re- reasons I don't watch intros or, or closing credits of anime. It's the same thing. They also sometimes will start lying to you in the uh, trailers. They've done a lot of. Absolute yeah. misdirection lately, especially thinking about the the MCU and uh, how the trailers differed from the actual movie. Yeah. All I know is the tire was not in the movie Twister. It was only in the trailer. <laughs> and I'm still upset by that 20 years later. <laughs> okay. So when you said the tire, okay – that makes me so. I, I'm going to have two, and one is because if you've never seen this movie, you really need to see it. It's called Rubber. Oh God, I know it, this. <laughs> it is a homicidal psychic tire that just rolls around the countryside, and it's it's actually if you look at like it's taking like slice of lives as people die in its presence. It is weird. It's very, it's a very indie movie, but if you watch it, it's, it's very funny and very weird. Very weird. (laughs) But the, yay weird. But the other one. So at the beginning of the school year, for those who have kids, I started reading, uh, it was probably right after Christmas, because we bought, for my daughter, we bought her the first four, no, first five Harry Potter books. And I read to her for 20 to 30 minutes a night. So, and I'm reading where she can understand what I'm saying, not as fast as I can read. And so we're almost done with the first book. And it is, if you read to kids, it's also a, it's, it's a good thing to read to them. And it's a fun thing to read. This particular book is a fun thing to read to them because it's, you know, you can, you can get some ideas out of it too for if you're running something similar if you want to run like a weird school where they teach people, like you can, you can draw some good ideas out of those books. But it's also a good way to introduce kids to fantasy and to reading, which anybody that runs games really, you end up reading way more than you ever thought you would. <laughs> so. There's that. Yeah. 
Nice. And we've only got two chapters left. <laughs> well, time to make a decision. Yeah. Hmm. Jules, what you got? All right. Well, everything has been kind of crazy and hectic and frenetic, and sometimes you need a laugh. And my husband came across this um, a couple weeks ago, and he came across it on a Friday, and he didn't show me until Saturday, and I yelled at him because (laughs) there was about six hours where I didn't know this existed, and he did. And it's called A Crap Guide to D&D. And it's probably one of the funniest just descriptions of character creation. And I was I was laughing my butt off um, because he goes they're described with a lot of the, um, you know, kind of like stereotypes. But, you know, and explains a little bit of it is like the crap guide to D&D. Uh, you have to do Barbarian, Bard, and he's making all these adorable references. It's like, and if you don't do this right, Matt Mercer will come and sneak in through your window and throw pool noodles at you. And you have, like, a picture of Matt Mercer chucking pool noodles at you. <laughs> the guy, is a, he's, a, he's an artist. And pretty much uh, he started out actually with doing a weapons guide to Monster Hunter. So the floppy head that you see, it's, it kind of became his avatar because um, – he ended up getting that in the in the Monster Hunter game, and it's like this kind of stitched together dragon head, and it just wobbles back and forth, back and forth. And it's called a Wiggler hat, so it makes it even funnier. <laughs> but uh, you know, you learn a couple of it. it you, you know, if you don't have any exposure or a little exposure to Fifth Ed, and you just need a a giggle, and his bit on the cleric. Oh my god! I, I oh my gosh! You know, a ranger. You know, this for the start of the Rangers, like pay a fighter with a bow. It's better. <laughs> like, and then he goes into it. He's like, all right, all right. And it, they're, they're funny. They're clever. They're entertaining. And sometimes we just need a laugh like that. And the, and he does uh, a couple of other series. Oh, he's like overly edited monster hunter, overly edited dark souls where he has like, he's, it's a let's play, but he'll be stabbing a guy, uh, like a monster or the thing over the monster is like, why do you keep hitting me? You keep doing that. I'll die. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's clever. You know, it, in the, it, it fits and it, and it's just hilarious. It's straight up on the surface. So that's fun. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. We all need to laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So come on, take us home. Right. So, with starting up doing more heavy-duty lifting in terms of the writing world, I need a bit of a break between them, and so I have launched, started playing a game that I haven't played in a while, Space Engineers. And this game is a fun little diversion. It's basically Minecraft in space. Mm. So, Oh, really? Cool! Yeah. You get to kind of pick what type of planet you're starting on, whether it's Earth-like, Moon-like, or Mars-like. And just basically create little Lego brick spaceships that have to obey thermodynamics and physics. And it's really easy to crash and blow up. Yeah. Like, like really, really easy. (laughs) I flipped my lunar lander within five minutes of starting the game. Yay! (laughs) But it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, it just... It takes me away between the writing aspects, and so I can just turn this on, have some fun, make sure I don't suffocate because I have enough oxygen. Thank goodness there's ice on the moon in this game. <laughs> and, you know, just kind of enjoy yourself. The 1.0, like, early access ending version of the game is now out, so definitely worth picking up. Cool. All right. Yay. Well, guys, I think uh, we are at the end, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this bad boy up, put a bow on it. Yay! And present it to you, our lovely listeners. Yes. And we will see you guys in two weeks, if not sooner. Later. Have fun. Keep playing games, guys. Bye-bye!
contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seizethegm.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended, and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.